1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: The FT Rising energy bills, surging food prices and higher rental yields. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Jonathan Ely, the new editor of FT Money, and I'll be bringing you the financial lowdown in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. Tanya Powley. Hi. And our special studio guest, Javier Blas, commodities editor for the Financial Times. Hi. Let's start with the money news. German-based energy company E.ON, or E.ON, faced criticism from some consumer groups this week after it revealed that its profits for the first half of 2012 had increased compared to last year. Eon, which is one of the UK's big six power suppliers, has been accused by consumer groups of failing to pass on the fall in wholesale prices to its retail customers. The news comes as experts revealed that thousands of EDF Energy customers – that's owned by the French, on cheap energy tariffs, face a shock when their fixed-rate deals come to an end in six weeks' time. Lucy, is there anything that households can do to protect themselves from rising gas and electricity prices?
3: Well, all this news about the energy um, prices this week is, is really getting consumer groups quite angry. <laughs> They're saying that you know wholesale prices have come down, but these big companies are failing to pass these on to consumers. For households, energy costs have more than doubled since 2004. So with the average gas and electricity bill it has gone up from £543 in January 2004 to its current level of about £1,258. So that's a huge amount for households to be shelling out, particularly at the at the moment in um, these difficult economic times. But there are things that people can do to reduce their energy bills. Um, I mean, the first thing people can do is switch. They can vote with their feet. They can uh, go to one of these consumer websites and put in their current tariff and then see if they can get a better deal somewhere else. But that's kind of easier said than done because there's over 20 providers in the UK, but the market is dominated by the big six. But there's I think there's over 400 different tariffs that people can choose from, which means that when people do log on, it can be a really daunting task to actually try and change. Um, but there are, there are lots of things that people can do and, and it's worth having a look and changing.
2: Is it worth changing given that um, energy tariffs are in a kind of constant state of flux? So there's always a danger that, that what is a great deal one week could could become quite uncompetitive even two or three weeks later.
3: Well, I think it's definitely worth looking at which provider you're with because um, there are some that are much cheaper than others and there are some tariffs that are much cheaper. So I think if you go for one of these competitive ones and then you need to just make a decision as to whether you need to fix those prices, if you can afford for your bills to be going up by a few hundred pounds or not. I mean, I guess it's the same as whether to choose a fixed rate mortgage or not. If you're willing to take the gamble, then you may just go for a tracker and then see which way prices are going to go. But with energy prices, you, um, you can fix into some quite competitive deals, actually. The, the most competitive deal for a fixed rate um, energy deal at the moment is from First Utility, so for a kind of average household user, um, that annual bill would be about £1,040. But that can kind of compare to um, others that are kind of up to, to £1,400. So it really is worth putting the, the efforts in.
2: And aside from um, switching supplier or switching tariff, um, what are the measures can can consumers take to, to reduce their their overall energy costs?
3: Well, I was chatting to Claire Francis from Money Supermarket this morning and she was saying that there's lots of little things that we can be doing. I mean, it may kind of seem a little bit ridiculous, some of the things, but actually when you add them all up, then they can save you a few hundred pounds a year. So things like, you know, closing the curtains when it's dark or um, using draft excluders, doing your washing at 30 degrees rather than 40 degrees. Um, And all these little things actually, they do add up. Um, some of the biggest savings will actually come from internet-only deals. So if you, um, either if you just go on the internet and you don't uh, go through the branch, then that will save you money. But also if you do direct debit rather than uh, paying your bills um, with cash and cheque, that will save you some money.
2: Thanks, Lucy. And to read more about rising energy bills and whether you should fix your rate, look out for Lucy's article in the money section of this weekend's FT or online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, regional variations in rental growth. But first, let's talk about food prices. Record temperatures in the United States this year have led to the worst drought in at least 50 years in the country's massive corn belt, destroying around one-sixth of the expected crop. Corn is an important factor for milk, meat and even energy prices, and economists are now predicting that the crop failure will lead to a surge in global food prices. Here to discuss the impacts of the corn crop failure is Javier Blas, commodities editor of the Financial Times. Javier, what's um, what's brought us to this um, to this situation, and how have
1: prices on world markets responded? Well, as you said, the, the main problem is the drought in the United States. And uh, let's put first the United States in perspective in the global agricultural market, because sometimes we have this pers- this this view of the United States as being a technology country with Hollywood and, and New York the United States is at the end of the day a huge producer of agricultural commodities is the uh responsible for exporting half of the world's corn, still producing about a third of the global exports of soybean, and is also a big producer of wheat. What has happened is that uh, the crop endured the hottest July on record in the United States. The Meteorological Office in the U.S. has records stretching back 117 years, and they have never had a July as hot as the one that we have. Then there was a huge impact on the corn crop, has destroyed yields, and farmers are abandoning fields without even looking at whether to harvest. To get a sense of how much abandoning is happening in the U.S., we look at the numbers and we extrapolate it to the size of a country. Well, farmers in the U.S. have just given up on cornfields the size of Luxembourg and Belgium together. It's a huge territory that is not going to be harvested, and so we are going to have a very small crop uh, when the the harvests uh, arrive later this year and That is what is pushing up prices. We have a big increase in corn prices around fifty percent since June. That's also pushing up the cost of soybean that is used mostly for fattening livestock, particularly in the poultry and and pork sector. And also is is pushing up the price of wheat that is a critical commodity for global food security. Okay, and what do you think will happen next? How will other big
2: agricultural producers react and how indeed will will consuming countries react, especially in the developing world where you have um, very big populations reliant on on imported foodstuffs?
1: So what we are looking at the moment is what elements we have the last time that we have a big food crisis that was in 2007-2008. And one key factor is going to be whether any big exporter is going to impose export bans or export restrictions. Russia did in 2008 and again in 20 in 2010. And there is talk among the traders that this could happen again in Russia probably in October, November. The G20 is pushing very hard on Russia to try to stop any export restriction. We'll be looking also at the weather in the southern hemisphere because there... We have a crop that is about to go into the ground and will be harvesting around six months, and we need very good weather through the planting season and also the the growing season. Countries that we are going to be looking in particular are going to be Brazil, Argentina, and Australia. If the weather there is okay, prices should be coming off by early next year. If we have any weather problems in the southern hemisphere, we should be bracing for higher prices. And for consumers, we are going to be looking at two factors. One is panic buying. It happens sometimes that countries such as Egypt or Saudi Arabia, they feel threatened about rising food prices. We have food riots so few years ago in in, in some Middle East countries and North African countries, and they could order more food that they need to build precautionary stocks that could exacerbate the crisis. The other factor we're going to be looking is whether some importing countries start slashing or even removing import tariffs with the aim of upsetting some of the impact of global high prices on their own population. The problem is if they do that, and we have already some examples in Indonesia and Bangladesh, is that they could also boost global food prices. So in effect, what we're going to be looking is whether some of the mistakes, the policy mistakes that they were made in 2007 and 2008 are now repeated. And that's what the G20 is going to be trying to avoid.
2: Okay, now for for private investors, for ordinary investors, the most obvious way to get exposure to this is through um, things like exchange-traded commodities. But you've discovered this week that some banks in Europe are actually withdrawing those products now. Why why are they doing that?
1: Well, there's a reputational risk for those banks because they seem to be profiting or offering a, a... uh, vehicle to investors to profit from f- high food prices that, in a sense, is also profiting from hunger. So the banks are putting on balance the reputational risk and the backlash from some campaigners and some politicians in continental Europe, in particular, to the size of their business. I was speaking this week with a, um, a senior banker of one of the banks who has withdrawn the products, and he was telling me that they have less than 100 million dollars under management that is linked to these products. I say the size of that business compared. To the reputational risk that we carry means that it's better to suspend and remove, withdraw that that business rather than have endless criticism from campaigners about our involvement. Uh, but on the other hand, the banks are sending a message to campaigners that they are a they are caving under pressure, and b they are suggesting that speculation or investment flows have something to do with uh, food prices. So what is happening at the moment is that some NGOs and campaigners have been feeling invigorated they're feeling like they have got uh, something to say and they're saying well you have a stop on agricultural commodities next is oil javier blas
2: uh, commodities editor of the financial times thanks very much for joining us and to find out more about the rise in soft commodity prices take a look at the money section of this weekend's ft or online at ft.com forward slash money and finally today buy to let investment New research shows that average rental yields from buy to let investments are edging up as rents rise. But across the UK, yields vary widely. The highest returns are actually available in the north of England, and the lowest returns, paradoxically, are in London, where rental growth has been the strongest. This week, FT Money asked a panel of property experts whether they think this is the right time to invest in buy to let. So, Tanya, what's the verdict?
4: Well there's been a differing of opinions actually, which is um it's always interesting to hear. Um obviously what we've seen in the news over the past year has been all this talk about the fact that rental prices are rising. Um, basically on the back of the fact that many would be buyers, first time buyers um can't actually get a mortgage or raise enough big enough deposit to get onto the property ladder, so more obviously having to rent for a longer period of time. Um this has obviously seen rents reach like record highs. And as a result, a lot of people, a lot of buy-to-let investors, or a lot of would be buy to let investors, are considering um buying expanding their portfolios or maybe buying um their first buy-to-let property. Um but a lot of the people I've been speaking to is saying, well, obviously the you know, great it's great the fact that the rents are rising because obviously it's is providing um more of an income flow for buy-to-let investors. There are some potential um clouds on the horizon in the sense that we have actually seen tenant arrears um, sort of rise in the last few months. Um, we're now sort of seeing more than 100,000 tenants um, struggling um, to sort of you know, basically they're sort of in um, two months or more um, late with their their rental payments. So that's kind of a concern. That obviously, yes, it's great that rents are rising, but actually, it's is it stretching tenants' affordability too far? Is that the possible? Um, is that going to continue if um, the economic? Um, environment worsens further um other figures this um in recent weeks have shown actually that repossession rate for buy to let landlords is also rising so there's these kind of headwinds that potentially um uh, might sort of scupper some of the investment returns
2: and what about um What about the outlook for capital growth? Because in the past, uh, a great deal of the investment returns from buy to let have come not actually from renting the property out, but from the increase in its value over time. With property prices now rising at a much slower rate or even falling in some parts of the country, um, is it more and more about the rent now? And, and whether you can make money on the rent alone,
4: that seems to be the main thing that most people are talking about now. Is is this um, increased rental income? The fact that that's what you're going to have to sort of see as your major returns for the next few years. Obviously, house prices don't look set to rise um, in the next few years. Um, they they seem to be um, remaining flat or potentially sort of dropping. And when you factor in inflation, actually, we're going to see falls of house prices rather than you know uh, it's not just the fact that it's flat. It's actually we're, in real terms we're going to see. Um, um, falls and potentially large, quite large falls in certain places. So that's what you've got to factor in. You, as an investor, or as a new buy to let investor, you've got to think about the fact that this should be a long term play. At some point, um, house price um, capital growth might come back, and then you will obviously be able to see bigger returns that way. But for the next few years at least, it's really going to be sort of looking at that sort of regular monthly income.
2: And of the uh, experts you've spoken to this week, what are their sort of top tips for, for successful buy to let in- investments in the current environment?
4: I think really research is key. That's what everyone's saying. Um, Really research what location you're buying in. Um, look at actually the rental demand in that area because not all low parts of the country are actually going to be seeing strong um, tenant demand. Um, that's a big factor. You basically want to make sure that, of course, you know rental prices are going up, but actually if you don't have the tenants to fill them, you're going to um, lose lots of m- amounts of money in terms of et- empty buy-to-let properties or um, people struggling to repay. So that's what you've got to really factor in. Um, also, obviously, look at what sort of buy-to-let um, mortgage rates you can get as well at the moment.
2: OK, thank you very much, Tanya. Don't forget, if you want to know more about um, buy-to-less investment and where are the best places to do it, um, do check out Tanya's article in this week's Money section of your Weekend FT. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money show. Remember, you can find all of these stories on our website, www.ft.com forward slash money. You could also follow our tweets at twitter.com slash And if you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like us to cover, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Tanya, Lucy, and Javier. Goodbye. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.